and you have to cipher through. And so today's message is about when God wakes you up. And this mission and vision, or should I say, of Ezekiel's uh, life becomes his mission of his life. I know there, you remember years ago when you traveled and you went to a hotel and, you know, I'm, I'm really dating myself to remember all this. And you called the front desk and you said, I need a wake-up call. And they would actually call you and it would be a live voice on the other end. And they'd say, Mr. Simmons, this is your wake-up call. And you go, okay, thank you. And you hang up. And then it changed to become an automated call. It just ringed your room and it would just state, this is your wake-up call, this is your wake-up call. And then it changed where they don't even do it anymore and they leave it to our cell phones to do it. So you know what it's like to get a wake-up call. And you know what it's like to arise from that particular experience and to get on with your day. Sometimes wake-up calls come in different forms, not through a telephone call. It comes when a boss calls you into his office and says, thank you for your time and your employment but as of today, you're no longer employed. A wake-up call comes when someone tells you that you've made a mistake and it's turned out to be very costly. And it's a kind of a wake-up call. A wake-up call comes when maybe you flunked out of school. Or a wake-up call happens when you are near a brush of death. Or a wake-up call when you're uh, in the air flying and you get this major turbulence and that plane takes a little bit of a downward turn faster than you thought it should do, it's kind of a wake-up call. We have those moment, moments in our life that are considered wake-up calls. A spouse comes in, uh, we, come in, we come home and the spouse is there waiting on us and they give us news that we didn't want to hear. Or a wake-up call, unfortunately, when you have a tragedy or a death in your life. There are wake-up calls all around us. And sometimes we're awakened, yes, in the middle of the night from a knock on the door or a phone that rings or a crying child or an animal disturbance outside. And it, and it gives us that moment in which we are shocked back into reality. Ezekiel had that moment that he was shocked into reality. And so I'm going to give you a little bit of some history about Ezekiel, and I ask you to stay with me as we go through it, because it's going to hopefully make sense. If it doesn't, don't tell me. So if, <laughs> hopefully it will make sense as we bring it to a close. As I said, Ezekiel isn't on the list of the history of, of all the figures in Scripture as people know and have knowledge of different ones. It's probably, you know, the, about the only thing we probably remember about Ezekiel is the folk song, Dry Bones. And if you think about what you know of Ezekiel, you'll think of that vision of dry bones. No biography exists about Ezekiel. But we do know he lived in Babylon in around 593 B.C., along with other Israelites who had been carried into captivity. Ezekiel was the first prophet in captivity. All right, so some scholars, you know, are eager to discredit him and picture Ezekiel as mentally unbalanced, a victim of paranoia or a victim of hallucinations. 
yet conservative scholars see him as a faithful spokesman for God with whom the Lord communicated through strange visions. And we know these visions are kind and, and it's probably a, a kind and benevolent term we give it of what really Ezekiel experienced. If Jacob had a dream, angels ascending and descending, you know, on a ladder, and Isaiah had a vision of God on his throne high and lifted up, then Ezekiel had a nightmare. And granted, the book that bears his name is entitled, I Saw Visions. These visions of God were enough to wake anyone up from a night of slumber. And Ezekiel looked, and there was a whirlwind coming from the north, a great cloud with fire flashing back and forth, brilliant light all around. In the center of the fire, there was the gleam like an amber, the form of four living creatures coming from that amber. And this was their appearance. They had human form, and each of them had four faces and four wings. Let's pick up in Scripture in Ezekiel chapter 1 and look at a few verses of Scripture inside this particular chapter. In Ezekiel chapter 1, in the 13th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, while I was among the, the exiles by the Cherubim Canal, the heavens opened and I saw visions of God. And that's the key. Ezekiel identifies what the visions, where the visions were coming from. He saw visions from God. On the fifth day of the month, it was the fifth year of King Jehoiachim's exile. The word of the Lord came directly to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi in the land of the Chaldeans by Charbar Canal, and the Lord's hand was on him there. Again, he saw visions, and he knew the Lord's hand was on him. I looked, and there was the whirlwind coming from the north, a great cloud with fire flashing back and forth, brilliant light all around it. In the center of the fire, there was a gleam like an amber. The form of four living creatures came from it. It was in their appearance they had human form, but each of them had four faces and four wings. Their legs were straight, and the soles of their feet were like the hooves of the calf, sparkling like the gleam of polished bronze. Now, if someone come up to you today and said, I had a dream, or I saw this, and I saw four faces and four wings, and I saw the feet that looked like hooves, and I saw them shining like gold, you'd probably say, how much have you had to drink? <laughs> they all had human hands under their wings on the four sides, and all four of them had faces and wings. Their wings were touching. The creatures did not turn as they moved. Each one went straight ahead. The form of each of their faces were that of a man. Each of the four had the face of a lion in the right, the face of an ox on the left, the face of an eagle. And that is what their faces looked like. Their wings were spread upward. Each had two wings touching that of another and two wings covering its body. Each creature went straight ahead wherever the spirit wanted it to go. They went without turning as they moved. They were much, much like stiff bodies moving with no control of their head and their wings. The form of these living creatures is like the appearance of the burning coals of fire and torches. Fire was moving back and forth, 
and yet in, in between the living creatures. It was bright, and lightning came out of it. The creatures were darkened, black, darkened back and forth like flashes of light. Now, you get the idea. That's a very strange vision, isn't it? And it's, and it's one that takes some interpretation to try to figure out. It's not as complicated as it sounds. As you study it and as you look at it, these four faces of these creatures symbolize God's perfect nature. And these four faces turned in every direction. In other words, each face faced a different direction. And yet our interpretation of this nightmare is limited because of the mystery that surrounds God. And But yet Ezekiel sees the power and the majesty of God at work in the people's lives, in his life, and he knows God is up to something and God is doing something grand. Just like Isaiah knew that God was up to something and he was doing something grand and he started with Isaiah touching his, his lips with the coal so that it cleanses his body. Isaiah is in the same situation and he's seeing God at work. The four living creatures described having the faces of a man, a lion, an ox, and an eagle portray the character of God. Throughout history, these creatures symbolically represent some important aspects of the character of God. First of all, a man is the picture of intelligence and understanding, even though women would, would disagree. Um, so, but a lion is always a picture of sovereignty and that of, of being supreme. An ox is always the symbol of servanthood, servitude, as well as sacrifice. The eagle is the symbol of the power, deity, the soaring over all of creation. So the significant thing is the four present, you know, had the exact qualities of none other. Now listen to this. None other than Christ Jesus himself. He appears first in the Gospels. Jesus does as what? In the Gospel of Matthew, he appears as a king. And yet you go on, which is the representation of the lion. And yet he appears then next in the Gospel of Mark as a servant, the ox. The Gospel of Luke, he appears as the man. So often you see in the Gospel of Luke, he's referred to as the son of man because of his intelligence. And in this insight, he understands life. And yet in the Gospel of John, he's depicted as deity. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word became God and dwelt among us. All the other Gospels give us a birth account. John gives us the deity look. So the exciting thing is, Ezekiel is the only prophet that saw Jesus. And it's interesting that he saw, he saw through this, he saw the four living creatures. Ezekiel saw the wheels turning, one wheel with another. And this is much like a gyroscope with wheels and had eyes. The image conveys the idea that God is present 
everywhere. So Ezekiel is getting the character of God. He's seeing God for who he is. He's seeing God in his form of deity. He's seeing God in his form of, of power. He sees God in his form of intelligence. He sees God in the form of, of everything that he needed to know about God in his character for his personal life. And he sees him as a God who is interactive with him, ready to do something amazing, ready to do something that's going to change Ezekiel's life as well as the life of the people. So let me, as we think about this, Ezekiel's vision becomes his mission. And inside that mission, first of all, is his vision that we speak about. And so Ezekiel's vision is there. The vision that God is going to do something significant with his life, even though he is not realizing at the point what God is going to do. He watched the firmament. He watched the splendor. He watched the shining. He saw God on his throne. And on that throne sat a man, a man who represented God himself on that throne. In the similar way, Christ revealed God in human form and prepared us for the message of salvation and prepares us for the message for real life. While Ezekiel doesn't understand all of this, and even though he doesn't perceive the significance at the time of his vision, nonetheless, the glory of God is, is the face of Christ Jesus to Ezekiel. Ezekiel saw as clearly as he could the revelation of God in Christ. He saw more of God clearly than any other prophet. And that was surprising to me as I looked at this because I've never really studied Ezekiel because I really could not understand it. And I really could not fathom all of the doomsday and all of the message he's given. It just wasn't one that I thought, hey, I'm going to give me a cookie and a cup of coffee and rejoice over Ezekiel because Ezekiel was depressing. But it's not. It's powerful. It's powerful because he saw God. And regardless of where you are in your life, whatever vision you have of, in your life of God, if you know that God is present with you, it's powerful and you know that his character is who he is, and it will never change. He's the same today. Uh, he's yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And the character of God is real, and he's powerful. And you know that, and that's all you need to know, that God is who he is. But as he saw all this in that vision that we read, and there's, there's much more. As you go to verse 28 that I didn't read, but later on in that that chapter, back up in verse 27, from what seemed to be his waist up, I saw a gleam like an amber with what looked like the fire enclosing all around him. From what seemed to be his waist down, I saw what looked like fire. There, where there was brilliant light all around him. The appearance of that brilliant light all around him was like that of a rainbow in a cloud on a rainy day. There was the appearance of the form of the Lord's glory. And when I saw it, this is the key. I fell face down and I heard a voice speak. What was Ezekiel's response to God's communicating through a vision to him? His response was not a nightmare being wakened in a nightmare. His response was to fall face down before God. And so Ezekiel becomes the picture of true humility. 
when you look at all of the other prophets in Scripture, what is exciting about Ezekiel is this appearance that he saw, the form of the Lord's glory. When he saw it, he fell face down, and he heard a voice speak to him. Ezekiel's response does not surprise anyone. It makes perfect sense. Few, if any of us, have experienced such a dramatic encounter with God, but the drama is not what's important in this account. If we had seen what Ezekiel saw, we too would have put our faces to the ground and, you know, because of the holiness of God. So we, when we see God for who He is, the only appropriate response is humility. Now keep in mind the mindset of the people were kingship and subjects. There was a king and then everybody was subjective to the king. And so they're used to bowing, showing reverence. They're used to, uh, you know, showing some type of respect, knowing they're in the presence of someone of higher power than them. But Ezekiel bypasses that, and he sees the king in all his glory. He sees the man of who he was. He sees the servant before him, and he sees the deity of God. And what he does is he doesn't run. He's not scared. He's not frightened. He falls face down in humility before God. In such prostrate position, and he lays there. Now, the picture in Hebrew text is that he didn't just lay down with his hand up looking forward like you would if you was laying down looking at a television set or something. No. He lays face down, eyes to the ground, and he's, he's laying there with his hands out, his feet spread, and he's in total submission to God. That's his response. I wish, and I said it last week, and I'm going to say it again. And if you want to share it until it gets to Washington, D.C., share it. If the dad blame people who control this country in leadership would see God and fall face down before God, this nation would turn around Amen. in a flash. Amen. Put it in a smaller context, a church family. If they'd fall face down, it would change the complexion of the whole church family. If you in your own individual household were to fall face down, it would change the complexion of your household. If you would do it individually, it would change the complexion of your entire life. There's something about the call of humility. And God looks forward to the people that he has and he looks forward to us demonstrating to him our humble heart before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Ezekiel got it. I never saw it. And I'm thinking, this dummy, you know, he's got a, he's got a crazy nightmare. Not really dummy, but he's got a crazy nightmare. But Ezekiel got it above all other prophets in Scripture. He understood the powerfulness of who God is. I admit, I have never seen God in his power like Ezekiel has. 
And I'm sure God has revealed it to me. I just hadn't taken the time to see it. Ezekiel saw it. And it affected the character of who he was. And it changed him for the rest of his life. And he was a prophet who, who didn't want to give the doomsday report with pride in his eyes. He did it with, with tears in his eyes. He did it with a broken heart because he wanted his people to all come back to God because he knew what a mass group of people could do. He knew what God could do with that mass group of people. He also knew what could happen if the mass group of people responded in a, in a proper way back to God. It would be something beautiful. And Ezekiel saw it. That was his response. Total humility. So let me ask you this, and this is not a question to answer out loud. Maybe privately we can talk about it, but have you ever fallen down before God? Have you ever realized how great He is and how small you are and I am? Have you ever come to terms with the awareness of how much you need Him and how little He needs you? Have you ever taken the posture of humility before Holy God? In a collection of children's letters to God was this letter from Wayne, 11 years old. Dear God, my dad thinks he's you. Please straighten him out. <laughs> when we come before God, sometimes we need to be straightened out. And it's a good thing. It's not a scary thing. It's not a, a, a judgment thing. Sometimes we need to be straightened out before God. Sometimes we need to become more horizontal than vertical lying face down in the dirt in the posture of humility. And this was what was exciting. When I looked up the root meaning of, of humility, it comes from the term humus, which means dirt or soil. To humble ourselves before God does not mean we become dirt. Rather, it means we get down on the dirt. And we recognize our place in life in humility before God who created the earth and the dirt. Our place before holy God is in a prostrated position. It's interesting that God called Ezekiel, listen to this, the son of man. Or as it's termed in Hebrew, man the son of dust. That was Ezekiel's name, the son of dust. Why did he get that name? Because Ezekiel fell down in the dirt before God, and he had that character of humility before God. And Ezekiel recognized the difference between himself and who God was. And I wonder, have I, have you, Journalist Tim Russett, NBC News Washington Bureau Chief for, for a while, Meet the Press moderator, you remember? Former altar boy, did you realize that? Former altar boy 
relates the time when he had a private conversation with Pope John Paul II. He states, I'll never forget it. It was there, he said, I was there to convince His Holiness that it was in his best interest to appear on the Today Show. But my thoughts turned very quickly away from NBC News ratings toward the idea of salvation. He says, I stood there with the vacor of Christ, he calls him. I simply blurted out, bless me, Father. He put his arm around my shoulder. He whispered to me, he said, you are the one called Timothy, the man on NBC. I said, yes, yes, that's me. They tell me that you're a very important man, the Pope says. Taken back, he said, Your Holiness, there are only two of us in the room, and I am certainly at a distant second. And the Pope looked at him and said, I agree with you. It was interesting that his interpretation of God was the Pope. And he recognized that he was so far away from who he needed to be in the presence of one who represented all of heaven. When Ezekiel experienced his own theophany, the appearance of God before him, the two beings that were present, Ezekiel understood his place in the appropriate posture that he took, and in humility he fell down before God, and he never and never wanted to correct that position for the rest of his life because he knew his place. So all of that vision, he could have seen eight faces and 10,000 wings. He could have seen many whirlwinds and fires and lightning and ambers and coals. He could have seen the brightness. He could have seen the darkness disappear because of the brightness. That was not the point of the vision. The point of the vision was to get Ezekiel to see God and to see him in all his glory, to see him in all his majesty because God was going to put Ezekiel in a place of position in the life of an entire nation to lead an entire nation back to God out of that captivity that they had already been disciplined for and destroyed by Babylon. And he was using Ezekiel to say to them, represent me. Become my priest to the people and let them see you, let them see me in you so that I can see me in them. That's powerful. Revolutionary to look and to see Ezekiel's life and vision. Third of all came Ezekiel's call from all this. In, in verse 28 that we read where he fell down and he heard God speaking. This is what God said to him. He said to him, he says to me, Son of man, stand up on your feet, and I will speak to you. As he spoke to me, the Spirit entered me. Someone says the Spirit of God doesn't live in the Old Testament. He does, doesn't he? The Spirit of God entered me, and he set me on my feet, and I listened to the one who was speaking to me. He said, I listened to God who was speaking to me. He said to me, Son of man, I am sending you to the Israelites and to the rebellious nations who have rebelled against me. The Israelites and their ancestors have transgressed against me to this day. The children are abstinent and hard-hearted, and I'm sending you to them, and you must say to them, 
This is what the Lord God says, whether you listen or refuse to listen, for they are, rebell they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. But you, son of man, do not be afraid of them or their words. Through briars and thorns, or even though briars and thorns are beside you, and you live among the scorpions, don't be afraid of their words or be discouraged by the look on their faces, for they are a rebellious house. But speak my words to them, whether they listen or refuse to listen, for they are rebellious. And you, son of man, listen what I tell you. Do not be rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I'm giving you. Now, that's, a, that's pretty specific as to a call. So it's like, yes, I've received my, my orders. It was in the posture of humility that Ezekiel heard from God. And when he saw God, he fell face down before him. And when God got him into the position to where he knew that Ezekiel could hear, God then spoke. And so what, what did Ezekiel hear from God? Let me give you a few things based on that scripture that I just read, a few things of what Ezekiel heard. Now, I, I can't do this and don't want to rep, misrepresent the, uh, the servicemen, and I don't know how to do the formal salute, but it basically was this. When, when, when Ezekiel was on his face before God, God basically said, Attention! You know, he just, he went straight to it. He got up on his feet and he was in a posture. Give it to me, Lord. <laughs> I'm quiet and I'm listening now. Because he saw God in all his glory and all, his, all, all the frills and the thrills of God in his throne. He saw it all more than any other prophet. And he stood to his feet and he was ready to listen. It's almost as like he had little jets on the back of his feet and they were firing out because he knew that after hearing God speak that he was getting ready to have to do something. And he was ready to go. He was fired up. He was a changed Ezekiel. Why? Because he saw God. And he saw God in his beauty. He saw him in his brilliance. He saw him in his glory. He saw him all of who he was. God, like an army drill sergeant, was barking up the orders. And God wanted Ezekiel to be fully alert, and he wanted him to receive the orders with great enthusiasm, with no doubt. And he says, listen up. Not only stand up, but listen up. He said, I will speak with you as I spoke. As he spoke to me, the Spirit entered me, and I set my feet, and I listened. So you see, he dug his feet in the ground. He took his, he took his heels, and he, he, got in, he got there. He ever, he ever golfed? And you're sitting in a sand trap. I'm very familiar with sand traps. And, and, you, and you, you wiggle your back heels, you know, you get set so that when you swing, you can just, very, you know, if you've got to go a long distance, you want no sand. If you've got to go a short distance, you want to scoop it up under the sand so it goes up and plops on the green. That's Ezekiel. He's got his heels dug in, and he's ready. He's ready to go. That's, that's, he, he knew the orders were there. There was no doubt. He heard him, and now he says, listen up. And Ezekiel's like, oh, nothing, nothing's going to keep me from hearing what you're getting ready to say, God. There's no thought in my mind. There's no distraction around me. You got my undivided attention, and I'm ready. Give it to me. 
tell me what you want me to hear. And he says to him, and he repeats it over and over. Now that I have your attention, listen, I've got something I want to say to you. So put on your listening ears, and I don't want you to miss the instructions going to follow. He says, and this is it. He says, now go up. Go up from where you are and move toward the, the Israelites. Son of man, I'm sending you to the Israelites. I'm sending you to a rebellious nation that doesn't love me anymore. I'm sending you to a rebellious nation that does not want to hear from a prophet. I'm sending you to a rebellious nation that does not have their thoughts and minds on me anymore. I'm sending you to a people who's liable to want to kill you because they don't want to hear how bad they are, but I'm sending you anyway, and regardless of what they say to you, regardless of what they do to you, regardless of what you hear, do not be afraid. Remember, the Spirit has entered you, and I am with you, and you are my voice to the people. Remember, you've seen me. Now let them see me through you. Go up. And then he says, this is what I want you to say. Speak up. The children are obstinate and hard-hearted. I'm sending you to them. And you must say to them, this is what the Lord God says, whether they listen or whether they refuse. They are rebellious. They will know that a prophet has been among them, but you, son of man, do not be afraid of what you hear and see. Remember, I'm with you every step of the way. God said, I've got a message for my people, and the good news is you're going to communicate it. Now speak up. It's not your message. It's my message. Your job is to deliver it, whether they listen or not or whether they're afraid or not. God's truth is not dependent upon human response. The truth would still remain. And God would not judge Ezekiel for how well others responded to his message or he's not going to judge them for how faithless or faithful they are. It's not Ezekiel's place. Ezekiel was just the spokesperson. His very mouthpiece, God appointed Ezekiel as a watchman over the house of Israel. A watchman stood on the city wall and warned the people of approaching danger and Ezekiel's role was to be the spiritual watchman and letting the people know of the coming judgment if they do not respond. And the last thing in that call was, he said, open up. In other words, open up your mouth and eat what I'm giving you. So I opened my mouth and he fed me the scroll. Now I had a piece of bread. I know I'm live here, so hopefully the person's not listening. I had a piece of bread at a wedding rehearsal this Friday. And... Uh, I, I, I just stopped chewing it last night, and this was on Friday. <laughs> it was the hardest thing, but it was delicious. It was one of those pieces of bread you had to chew, and as it dissolved, it got more flavorable. I don't know how it happened, but it was good. But I got sore jaws. Can you imagine eating a scroll? So is he actually really eating a scroll of paper here. What's he talking about? The scroll represents what? When the, in the Sanhedrin, when all those priests would open up the scroll and they began to read, what were they reading? The Word of God. So Ezekiel, God says to Ezekiel, this is, this is what's cool. He says, I'm, you open your mouth and I'm going to put all the seminary training inside you in one second. 
I'm going to give you everything you could ever learn somewhere else. I'm going to empower you with a message that's beyond your comprehension. You open your mouth, you feed on it, and inside that scroll is my word. And when you speak, you're my voice. That's powerful, isn't it? You ever spoke to someone and they said, funny thing, you said that to me. That's exactly what I needed to hear. I've just been praying for that answer to come. They basically just said to you, you became the voice of God to their ears. That's cool, isn't it? You know, God, God knows what he's doing. And he says, open your mouth and be strong because God, I God, am strong. For the word of God is life-giving. So Isaiah wasn't creating judgment. And I've interpreted it as judgment after judgment after judgment. Doomsday, watch out, here comes the fire. But he wasn't speaking doomsday. He was speaking the word of God. The judgment that happened was not because of Ezekiel. The judgment happened because of the people's response. They continue to be rebellious. And if judgment happens in my life, it's none other because I choose that for my life. It's not that, that God wants that judgment to happen in my life. It's I choose it. And so Isaiah, I mean, Ezekiel knew that he had to speak. Well, when we digest God's word, we realize that it becomes the spiritual life to us. We find that not only does it make us stronger in faith, but it sweetens our wisdom. So as, I, as, as Ezekiel, I keep saying Isaiah, as Ezekiel feeds upon that scroll, his faith is getting stronger, and he's, he's, he's able to, to realize the strength and the validity of his call is God-ordained. This was Ezekiel's call to be a prophet. When the new preacher came to town, everybody in the church was talking about how good he was and how much better he was than the older preacher. The town skeptic inquired with great interest, and he went to one of the deacons of the church that he knew was was right there in the midst of all the ministry of the church. And he wanted to know what made the new preacher better than the old preacher. Well, the deacon said, the old preacher told us that we're all lost sinners and unless we repent, we're going to hell. And that was his answer. Well, what does the new preacher say? The new preacher tells us that we're all lost sinners and unless we repent, we're going to hell. Well, what's the difference? I can't tell the difference, sir. Oh, there's a big difference, the deacon answered. This one says it with tears in his eyes. That was Ezekiel. Ezekiel didn't smile and, and say, ah, gotcha. It broke his heart. It broke his heart because he saw that the judgments that were pronounced upon the lives of the people it broke his heart. It brought tears to his eyes. So why would someone want to be a prophet? Why would someone want to share a message to a group of people who would rather have their head on a platter than hear a message? Why would someone pronounce judgment 
that brought hurt and pain to someone's life or to the audience who is being addressed? The answer is because of the calling. And that calling is ordained by God. What ambassador would think of going to a country as a representative of the homeland without being sent? And Ezekiel knew that God placed him where he needed to be. So I've said all this to give that's the history lesson of Ezekiel. Really. I promise. It's going to close out in just a second. So the key is in, in what Ezekiel heard and, and Ezekiel's mission. We'll go back to that and to remind you that Ezekiel's mission, first of all, we talked about his vision, right? And we talked about what he saw. The second thing is we saw his response. And then third, we saw his call. And now fourth, let me give you the last point. And Renee's going to put it up on the screen. The last point is our challenge. We know the challenge, and, and we have to respond. Just as Ezekiel had to make a choice to respond, you and I have to respond in some form or fashion. You know, in the movie, The Blues Brothers, again, I know I'm dating myself, calling back the 1980s movie, I think, or 70s. You know, a couple of ex-convict wannabes who wanted to be musicians were trying to raise money for an orphanage. And any time they were asked about the work and throughout the movie, they would give the standard response. We're on mission from God. The very idea that the two inapt, unworthy human beings could be on mission with God was, of course, the whole central joke of the entire movie. But here's the story of your life and my life. It's not a joke that you're on mission for God. It's a joy. And it's an honor. You're on mission for God. God is calling you. God's call is not exclusive to being a pastor or a missionary. We kind of put those two in high regards because of what they do. He calls plumbers. He calls managers. For what the matter, he calls electricians. He calls doctors. He calls lawyers. He calls teachers. He calls chemists. He calls salespersons. He calls housewives. He calls some to secular vocation, others to sacred vocations. A calling is not something reserved for full-time Christian service. Granted, we don't hear much about calling because our society is so educated to think that it has now become a career. We're taught to go to school and establish your career. You don't hear about going to school and living out your calling. A calling is something God chooses for us. A career is something we choose for ourselves. A career promises status, power, and money. A calling generally promises difficulty, even suffering, and maybe in some sense, poverty. But it's a mission, an opportunity to be used by God. A career is about the upward mobility. A calling is generally about a downward mobility. A career ends up in retirement with a lot of toys. A calling isn't over until the day you die. The rewards of a career might quite be visible, but they become temporary. The results of a calling may never be seen on this side of eternity. Often we think that ministry requires a calling, and the marketplace is the choosing. But that's not true. It is quite possible to turn a ministry into a career. 
that focuses on the advancement and the achievement of the kingdom of God. On the other hand, it's quite possible to make a business calling that is truly done to serve God and to serve others. In the 11th century, King Henry III of Bavaria, if I'm pronouncing it right, probably not, grew tired of court life. The, the king, King Henry III, is recorded in history journals. He got tired of, king, of the court life. He got tired of being a king. And he tired of being pressure, having all the pressures of a monarch. He made application to Prior Richard at a local monastery asking to be accepted into the monastery as a contemporary to spend the rest of his life in a monastery. A monk, basically. A king becoming a monk. Your majesty, Sir Prior says, do you understand the pledge that you're making? It's a pledge of obedience. That will be hard because you've been king. I understand. I understand, he says. The king says. The rest of my life, I want to be obedient to you as Christ leads you. Okay, you're completely obedient to me. Yes, sir. You as a king are going to be obedient to me as a priest. Yes, sir. He said, then listen to what I'm getting ready to say. Go back to your throne and serve the kingdom where God has placed you and be the king. When King Henry died, the statement was written, the king learned to rule by being obedient. The conclusion of this entire message is that when God reveals himself to you and to me, that we have one response, humility and obedience. There's no riding the fence. There's no, okay, let me pray about it and figure it out. There is no way you need to figure it out. There's no way that I need to take time to figure out what he's saying. It's clear. Based on the life of Ezekiel. And this is just the first two chapters of Ezekiel. It gets good. When you start throwing the bacon and the eggs and the pancakes and the syrup on this thing, it gets good. Obedience to the call that God places on your life. So I ask you this question. Could have asked you earlier. Maybe it wouldn't have made as much sense, but hopefully it makes more sense now. Are you being obedient to the call of God in your life? And what is your mission from God? God can turn your career into a calling, and sometimes the end of a career is the beginning of a calling. At other times, God chooses to take people out of the security of their careers and calls them into Christian ministry. Since everyone has one, what is your mission from God? Is God trying to break through you? Is He waking you up to a specific task? Do we need to humble ourselves before Him? Do we really need to get in a certain posture to really hear? 
Or maybe you've heard from God and you know the call of God in your life, but you failed to put it into action. Do you need to get serious about God waking you up today? God is good, and He's good all the time. Unfortunately, we're not. But even in the notness and in His goodness, God takes us and says, I refresh you, I remold you, I remake you, I reposition you back where I once had you. No one is ever a dried up little shriveled bean that could never produce again. He can dash some water, the water of the spirit that represents water, dash it on you, and he can grow you into something beautiful. So what will you do in response to hearing from God today and I trust seeing him today? Will you say, yes, God, I give up me and I give all of me to you, obedient, humble before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Father, I thank you that you give us this message this morning. And I, I admit, I was just totally bumfuzzled about the message in Ezekiel and have been for years. And yet to see it in such a different light of how you give forth truth when truth needs to be seen and heard and you reveal it in your right time, it's so beautiful. Father, thank you for the reminder today of who you are and who we are so that we could see the, the majesty of your character and we could see the depravity of our own life. Father, thank you for forgiveness and cleansing and wholeness. Thank you for your brilliance and thank you for your shining light. And thank you for allowing us to see you today. In your name, that we pray. Amen. What a joyful noise we'll make 
And uh, the song presents it a little bit more encouraging.